Introducing the Liberty Laptop, your gateway to online anonymity. Engineered with your privacy in mind, the Liberty Laptop comes equipped with cutting-edge security features, ensuring that your data remains yours and yours alone. No more worries about your personal information being shared without consent. Say goodbye to prying eyes and third-party snoops. Enjoy your online freedom with advanced privacy settings, protecting your every digital move, all at your fingertips. With the Liberty Laptop, you control what others see and don't see. We customize your privacy settings and let only what matters most to you be shared. No more concerns about unwarranted surveillance. We put the power back in your hands, no unwanted access through the laptop's camera and microphone. Powered by the latest technology, the Liberty Laptop ensures performance while respecting your personal boundaries. The Liberty Laptop. Your control. Your privacy. Your world. Visit calixsolutions.io to experience true personal freedom today. Good morning, everybody. It's your favorite truck driver in the whole wide world. It's Bitcoin Ben. My friends, the reason I ran the ad for the Liberty Laptop today, our wonderful federal government is doing a test of the emergency fuck-off broadcasting system. My friends, I don't know about you, but I'm shutting my phone off. I don't give a flying fuck what these people say. Oh, don't worry. Everything's fine. No, no. Remember, folks, when they do this, they are taking control of your phone. You cannot shut this off. You cannot not get this notification. And if they can send, remember, if they can send a forced notification, they can send the data with it. Right? I'm telling you now, folks. Hey, oh, FYI, apparently YouTube gave me the week off. Yep. They said that, that it has been brought to their attention that my is this my fourth channel on YouTube or fifth? I don't know. That my channel needs to be reviewed. Oh, ho, ho, ho. they found me again, folks. They hunted down the Bitcoin bin. They found me again on YouTube. You know what, YouTube? Kiss my lily white beautiful ass. Rumble is taking over. 
everyone over on Rumble. I got your chat up on my full screen over here. So we got G E G E P five nine seven says good morning. We have KNG Golf says good morning, everyone. Over on Rumble. Rumbles start chatting the hell out of it. Let's just spread some rumble love, baby. I, I screw them, screw them all, folks. They know they're screwed. You know how I know they're screwed. I twenty-one million radio shows over on Rumble. That's the radio show I do here in Sarasota, live on FM and AM every Saturday morning at 7 o'clock. I do a local radio show here in Sarasota. It's, it's a, it isn't just Sarasota. It like goes out. It's a large area. And I do a one-hour show on Saturday morning. A while back, we were number one on all of the stations. And I only do a one-hour show a week. And we were number one. Preaching and teaching, baby. Preaching and teaching teaching because i talk about bitcoin i talk about freedom i talk about everything and i tell people the truth i tell them on fm radio uh, and and i think i'm on three uh stations here in sarasota so far it's going to be growing and a little update the local uh i think it's nbc channel wants to have me back on their morning show here uh let me see if i got that uh, i don't know if i got that video clip no they want to have me back on their morning show to talk about Bitcoin in Florida on the largest morning show in, in, uh, God, what is that? Um, uh, um, Tampa. Yeah. The large, largest morning show in Tampa wants me to come back on and talk about Bitcoin gladly. They got a hell of, apparently they got a hell of a 
response the last time I was on their morning show. Could you imagine waking up some old couple here in Florida, retired, just watching the morning show? And all of a sudden, there's my smiling mug talking about cryptos and Bitcoin and freedom and inflation. And when I go back on there, what will I be talking about? The bond market. That's what we're going to talk about on today's show. Now, I'm going to do about 45 minutes here on Rumble and other platforms. Then we're going straight to the private server. Guys and gals, all hell's about to break loose in Washington, D.C. I got my Washington, D.C. guy blowing up my friggin' phone last night on, on what's going on. House of Representatives, you guys have no idea, no idea what the media is lying. They are shutting, they are shutting down the House of Representatives. They are closing shop. It is a rule that they cannot proceed with any legislation if there is not a speaker of the house i'm gonna tell what how it up i'll give you a little hint here folks a little hint they're gonna offer up a speaker of the house but it's no one anybody knows of. Well, I mean, people know him. Let's just say the House of Representatives is about to get trumped. We'll talk about that on the private server. Because I don't know if you know this or not. Anybody can be House of Representatives uh, a Speaker of the House. They don't have to be an elected official. Oh, did you know that? I did. My friends, shit is about to hit the fan. Why do you think, why do you think that judge is losing his fucking mind? He's trying to figure out how he can have Trump locked up. They're literally going to try and charge Trump with 
uh, something during the court case. All right. They're going to try and charge Trump with something during this court case where they can lock him up. Because think about it, folks. Think about it. Trump would then be number three in line to the presidency. Old Joe, uh, we can't, we cannot talk about this here. Uh, when ready, when ready, I'll let you know and we'll go over to the private server. Watching Bloomberg today. That's why these people are freaking out. Yes, Trump can run for president at the same time as being the Speaker of the House. Folks, the shit is about to hit the fan, folks. And this is why. All right. Now, I'm going to share some screens. All right. Oh, hang on. I shared it wrong. All right, for those of you who know who Max Kaiser is, Max Kaiser worked on Wall Street for years and years. That's that's where he made most of his money. Bingo, Daddy-O, Red October. Remember, remember what number 17 said. Remember what number 17 said. Red October. Look to the past post for the future announcements. All right. Now, this is why. All hell's about to break loose. Right. Max Kaiser on Twitter this morning, or yesterday, I guess that was yesterday. Right. The debt is going parabolic, and he's not using that in hyperbole, folks. He's not joking. Right? Look at this. Right? Look. Look at this right here. 
total U.S. debt is a record $33.442 trillion, $275 billion in one day. Look at that jump, folks. That's one fucking day. Now, here. Let's go back. Max Kaiser. This is his bread and butter, folks. This is Max Kaiser's bread and butter. He knows the global markets like nobody's business. He says, debt's going parabolic. We've crossed the event horizon link that back go to number 17's posts and look up the words event horizon event horizon let me get back Bank holiday coming, perhaps as early as next week. Now, here's another one he put out yesterday. And this is important, folks. You have to understand this. The global Ponzi Lynch pin is the Japanese yen. Right? This, when the yen freaks out, it means the it's all about to fucking come down, folks. He says the global Ponzi linchpin, the Japanese yen, is being pulled out and the global house of cards is falling. Now, that was yesterday, right? Now, I just want to remind you guys, Bitcoin balance on exchanges are at the lowest point in history, the lowest point in history. Now, all right, what happened was, let me click on this, let, let me click on this. All right, so yesterday, the yin got plucked and got plucked hard what that is is that is people selling the yen all right people are selling the yen to get into other currencies namely the U.S. dollar. 
That's why the dollar price shot up yesterday. All right. You have to understand that a large amount of the world's debt is payable in U.S. dollars. Right? In U.S. dollars. So if you have yen, you have to sell yen and you have to purchase the dollars. That's what happened yesterday. Some huge entity sold a shitload of yen. I mean a shitload. Do you know what kind of volume you have to have to drop it that much on the global market. Then Japan, right here, right when it was about to leg down again, right when it, right, it dropped here, then it paused. The next minute, it continued to drop. That's when the Japanese government came in and started, they started buying yen and selling dollars. Folks, this, these are all dominoes. You have to understand. Once one drops, the next one drops. And all of this, right, the U.S. dollar, the yen, the ruble, all that, this is all going to lead to China. And when it hits China, holy shit, is the bond market in trouble. Because in China, we'll have to sell off the bonds to back their currency. Folks, that leads me to this. I, I, this guy here, Luke Gromman. If, if you don't know who Luke Grotman is. Luke Grotman is a bond expert. A bond, I mean, expert. This dude's life is bonds. This dude does nothing but bonds. He eats, leaves, breathes, shits, wipes with bonds. We're going to watch this, folks. We're going to watch this. Look at the, and he's never, my friends, this is not a hype guy. This is not a, 
oh, do a, you know, a scary in, interview guy. No, he runs a company that sells and trades bonds. That's it. His money is made in bonds. Listen to what this mo see I I can explain it to you, but I'm just an old silly old ex-truck driver. What does Bitcoin Ben know about bonds? Folks, I know a shit ton about bonds. I could explain it, but this guy lives it. Like my grandfather used to say, if you want to build a house, don't talk to a guy who builds boats. Talk to a guy who builds houses. By the way, folks, this emergency broadcast thing they got going, I, I swear to Almighty, my Savior, if you guys don't start listening to what is, it's right, right here, folks, a word from the sponsor before we listen to this, get your ass a crypto. A Liberty laptop. You should already have a crypto laptop. Get your ass a Liberty laptop. Because this is just a test, folks. This is just a test. You know what they're testing? The smart grid. The smart grid, Wi-Fi on the smart grid. Oh, that's what they're hooking the emergency broadcast system into, the smart grid. So your refrigerator warns you. Your microwave warns you. Everything on the smart grid warns you. Your laptop warns you. Your computers warn you. Your television warns you. Anybody see 1984? The movie, read the book. Remember the big TV screen in the room? Wake up, citizens. It's time to exercise. Folks, if you don't get and and somebody point me out another computer company that's offering you a computer to get you out of the matrix. 
I'll wait. Oh, there isn't one word from the sponsor. Introducing the Liberty Laptop, your gateway to online anonymity. Engineered with your privacy in mind, the Liberty Laptop comes equipped with cutting-edge security features, ensuring that your data remains yours and yours alone. No more worries about your personal information being shared without consent. Say goodbye to prying eyes and third-party snoops. Enjoy your online freedom with advanced privacy settings, protecting your every digital move, all at your fingertips. With the Liberty Laptop, you control what others see and don't see. We customize your privacy settings and let only what matters most to you be shared. No more concerns about unwarranted surveillance. We put the power back in your hands. No unwanted access through the laptop's camera and microphone. Powered by the latest technology, the Liberty Laptop ensures performance while respecting your personal boundaries. The Liberty Laptop. Your control. Your privacy. Your world. Visit calixsolutions.io to experience true personal freedom today. Okay, now, call or text. I swear to God, I will slap the shit out of every single one of you people. I love you guys. I love you guys. But it's coming down to the nitty effing gritty, folks. And, and you're not going to be able to see any of it. You're not going to be able to see shit of it unless you learn how to navigate the deep web, the free web. The Liberty Laptop comes with how-tos. It teaches you how to get and where to find on the 93% of the or 97% of the internet that Google doesn't control. I love you guys. All right. Call now, 702-845-8276. We've tried to make it as easy as possible. We even partnered with PayPal to set up payments. So you, you can click the link on our website, pay with PayPal, and choose make payments. So don't give me this shit. Well, I ain't got the money right there. You mean the dollars that are about to go to shit? You're trying to save those? While everyone else in the world is trying to get the hell out of the dollar. You're trying to save a few of those? 
get the laptop now. Go to calixsolutions.io and get your Liberty laptop now. Or call 702-845-8276. I had someone, a friend of mine, so I took it seriously. Hey, Ben, you know, you you might want to tone it down a little bit. You're getting a, you're getting a little excited. I'm getting a little excited. Are you living in a fucking box? Do you see what for here? Two things. Let me just drop this in real quick. Two things. Number one, for the first time ever, an ex-president is charged criminally and civil in history. Ever, 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 ever. Number two, for the first time ever, 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 ever. In history, the House of Representatives removes a speaker. Now, in 1910, hence the date, 1910, when they were trying to push the Federal Reserve through, there was a vote to remove the Speaker of the House. It didn't go through, but this time it did. The first time in history. Huh. Whole lot of historic shit going on. But Ben, don't get excited. Don't get excited. For the first time in history, the federal government is hooking the emergency broadcast or has hooked it up to the smart grid. Why do you think they're testing it, folks? Do you think they just woke up a couple weeks ago and went, you know that emergency broadcast? When was the last time we checked that? No, they've hooked it up to the smart grid. Now they have to test it. My friends, I'm sorry if I'm getting a little excited, but shit is hitting the fan. And everyone else is trying to get in front of the fan to feel the breeze. I'm trying to get out of the way of the fan. All right, now, all right, 35 minutes. All right, Uh, I'll tell you what. 
I'm going to jump over to the private server. Uh, wait, no, wait. Here. Let me do this for a few minutes here. Hang on one second. I'm going to switch this so it's clear. Right now, my friends, you have to understand this. All right, I'm going to take a second. Pretend I'm grabbing your face. Listen to me. I'll make sure my mic's up here. Listen to me. The bond market is linked direct. Remember, the, the number two largest market in the world is the bond market. The bond market is directly linked to the derivatives market. All the loans, all the housing loans, all the car loans, all of that, those bonds are what set the rates for the derivatives markets, the derivative market is over. Three quadrillion dollars. That was just announced by the world. Bank our World Monetary uh, Organization, what, uh, whatever, for it's the World Bank. They just released new numbers, updated numbers. Oh, and they sent it out to a select, a select email group. Just happened to get leaked. The derivatives market. That was last reported at one quadrillion dollars. Last reported is now three quadrillion dollars market. The bond market is six hundred trillion. A quadrillion is 1,000 trillions. You get that? When the bonds go, the derivatives go. 
when the derivatives go. That's it. It's all over. It is all over. Roll up the streets, folks. The shit's over. Now, I'm going to do this now because this, the bond market is linked with Trump and House of Representatives because it's go time, folks. It's go time. All right. Hold, please. I'm switching over to strictly the private servers. If you want to watch the rest of the show, click the link under here. Join either Patreon or the sub stack. I highly recommend the sub stack. Because it's 20% off right now. I'll be right back. Click the link under here. Join us on the private server. Hang on one second. Gonna All right, we are on the private server. There we go. Now listen up, folks. Listen up and a shout out to this channel for the interview. Don't remember the name of it. Hang on. Blockworks. Forward Guidance. Very happy to welcome you to Forward Guidance, Luke Groman, uh, founder of Forest for the Trees. Luke, great to have you on Forward Guidance. We are recording in the middle of a pretty severe sell-off in the bond market. TLT is down close to, what, 1.5%, and the 10-year is now above 4.5%. Is it fair to say the bond market is, is melting down? Is that too dramatic a phrase? And do you, you know, how bad will do you think it will, it will get? I think it's too dramatic to say the bond market is melting down right now. I don't think it's too dramatic to say that unless the dollar is weakened meaningfully or unless oil is lowered meaningfully, 
the bond market will melt down. Okay, listen to what he just said. Unless the dollar is weakened immediately. What did I just show you guys? People are, the Japanese yen was sold off to buy dollars. The Japanese government used dollars to buy back their yen so they could shoot it back up. It's not going to last long, folks, because the Japanese only have a certain amount of dollars. They do have treasury bonds, but they don't want to sell the treasury bonds because it will push the bond market further down. When China when all of this hits China, and that's the domino, China is going to sell off American bonds. And that's what people know. That's why this bond market is going batshit. Because it's the equivalent of all the little fish out in the open. When I say little fish, I mean the little, the little bond market. They see a whale come. They see a whale. And that whale is China. When China starts to sell off their treasuries, their treasury bonds to buy dollars to prop up the Chinese currency, all hell is going to fucking go. And this is what everyone knows. So as he talks, folks, and this is why the Federal Reserve knows, oh, shit, we're going to need a bigger printer, printing press because, my friends, the Fed has to buy all of those bonds. All of them. All of them. And that fucks the U.S. government. Because the bonds, the Treasury, listen to me, folks, the Treasury cannot produce bonds without the approval of the House of Representatives. Remember, the House of Representatives holds the purse strings. The House of Representatives, the Treasury can't do shit without an appropriations bill. 
they're fucked. They are fucked and everyone knows it. Now they're officially fucked. Because now without a speaker of the house, you can't call a bill to the floor. If you can't call a bill to the floor, you can't even try to get an emergency appropriations bill passed. And you put Trump as the Speaker of the House? Guess what? You want to save your financial system? Joe and the hoe gotta go. And then who's president? Trump card. They either lose the financial system or they lose the presidency. Pick your poison, bitches. Trust the plan and enjoy the show. Why do you think they're doing the emergency broadcast system today? Folks, I may just be an average truck driver. But I am a damn good-looking average truck driver. I would make popcorn, but my crypto laptop is in the microwave. (laughs) Oh, that's hilarious. Jilly Dilly, I think I love you. That is the funniest thing I've heard in so damn long because it's smart. Put the laptop in the microwave because then what does a microwave do? It blocks outgoing and incoming microwaves. Very smart. Now, Wootastic says, sounds like the stage is set for Uncle Cliff's big event. My friends, I'm telling you now, please, God, listen to me. Please, God, don't worry about your dollars. Don't worry about money. Don't worry about this. Number one, get your fucking Liberty laptop. Because if you don't, you're not going to have a place to go. Number two, Caleb and Brown, don't go to Coinbase. Don't go to wherever to flock, Caleb and Brown, if you have any 
money in any markets. Cash the fuck. And get into Bitcoin. Wire it over to Caleb and Brown. Open your account using my link under here so you you save 30% using my link and get your ass some Bitcoin. Did you happen to hear that uh, there was a secret little meeting that, uh, that Gary Gensler got took to the fucking woodshed and not by our side? side yes by black got took to the fucking woodshed and said look here dickhead whoever you think you're working for fuck you we need this ETF and we need it now so your going to take your sorry ass to the office. You're going to get a hold of our team and you're going to tell them exactly how to word this application for this ETF because if you don't approve us, sorry, Gary Gensler, Mrs. Gensler is going to be an a lonely some bitch. Don't fuck with us, Gary. The system's coming down. They know it. My friends, do you know who the number one holder of derivatives is? Surprise, surprise. Black rock. If the derivatives market goes, BlackRock goes. All the others, too. Starting to put the pieces together, folks. Now, I want you to listen to this guy. He lays it... I just explained basically everything, but he gets into the details. I mean, the nitty gritty inside baseball details. I'm telling you now, folks, get your Bitcoin now. And if you have Ethereum, if you'd rather do half Bitcoin, half Ethereum, because as soon as they launch the Bitcoin, they'll launch the Ethereum because they're going to try and spread this money out so that Bitcoin doesn't automatically hit $500,000 per Bitcoin in one fucking jump. They're going to try and launch as many exchanges. But remember, Bitcoin, Litecoin, Ethereum, 
and Bitcoin Cash are the only four that Gary Gensler has said are not securities. And, hey, if you're into it, Ripple, because Ripple, the SEC was just denied a motion to reassess the case. Edward Albert just ordered Liberty Laptop. I'm telling you, folks, I'm, I'm, what am I making up? What on this show or any other show am I making up? Well, Ben, there's no such thing as a smart grid. Oh, Ben, they're not having an emergency broadcast to test the smart grid. Really? Look at the details of the emergency broadcast. They're, they already know it works on your phones, people. It's the smart grid. I'm telling you now, folks, get your Liberty laptop. You are going to be blind as a bat. I, I guarantee when this shit kicks off, my phone's going to blow up. Hey, Ben, can you get me a Liberty laptop shipped ASAP overnight? Oh, oh, well, sure I can. Last minute, Lacey. I can't ship it to you overnight. We have clients who are already in the silo. Sorry, you're not going to jump. Jump line. Not going to work like that, folks. You're, you're not going to be able to send me a message on Patreon and go, hey, uh, uh, hey Ben, uh, uh, can I get one of them laptops? <laughs> Come on, Ben. All I need is a little. All I need is a little bump. All I need is a little bump, man. Hook me up with one of them laptops. No. All right, here we go. Come on, dude. You think of. Wait till the three-hour show tonight on the private server, by the way. Oh, now my screen's missing. Oh, nice try, bastard. What does Meltdown look like? Meltdown, to me, looks like a version to you know, the TLT doing a version of what repo did in September of 2019, which is 2%, 2.2, 2.58, 10, 
oh crap, Fed comes in 48 hours later with not QE, QE, puts it back two and away we go. And how much of the sell-off in bonds is due to economic conditions? So, you know, growth being more resilient than expected. How much of it do you think has to do with supply? I, th I think it's mostly, um, I don't think it matters. Um, and that's, I think, the part that people don't get. Uh, it's probably because it's like, which snowflake touched off the avalanche and killed you and your entire family while you were skiing? Like, who gives a shit? You're all dead. I think initially it's better growth. And the reason why I say it doesn't matter is because there's first and second derivatives to this that I don't, that, that people still don't understand. They obviously don't understand uh, based on things they're saying, writing, et cetera. Okay. And what do I mean by that? Yes, growth is better. Okay. Why is growth better? Well, not because housing's better, not because ISM's better, not because services is better. What's better? US federal spending which is 25 on its way to 30% of GDP is up 15%. U.S. federal outlays are up 15% on a year-over-year -year basis. It usually only happens in a recession. U.S. deficits are at um, almost 8.5% of GDP on a trailing 12-month basis. Only ever happens after recessions uh, or in the middle of recessions. It, it hasn't happened with 3.5% unemployment like ever. Um, and that's why I say I don't think people understand the second derivative of that question, which is, is it because growth is better? Yeah. Why is growth better? Because deficits are damn so, so darn high. I, I, just, I just wanted to remind people, if you don't believe what I'm saying about Trump, why is Trump in the courtroom in New York? He, he didn't have to show up in person. How far away is Washington, D.C. from New York? Where's Trump going after court every day? Why would Trump go up to New York to sit in a courtroom? Now, what you're starting to put it together? What if Trump would have flown to Washington, D.C.? Would that have been a little bit too obvious? A little. Just a little. My friends. Enjoy the show. Back to scheduled programming. And why are deficits so high? Because rates are rising. And that's people don't understand. We're in this feedback loop. Well, growth is better. Well, yeah, growth is better because friggin' deficits are at eight and a half percent 
with three and a half percent unemployment and federal spending is it is growing at 15 percent when when almost 30 percent of your economy is going 15 percent hey guess what that's four and a half points of gdp right there right 15 percent times 30 percent is four and a half points so great what's so higher for longer okay let's do higher for longer let's go to six now you're you're right now the four and a half, or excuse me, the, the, the rates where they are is five on 33 trillion in debt pro forma, the 33 trillion times 5%, it's 1.65 trillion. You have $1.65 trillion of treasury payment interest stimmies being handed out globally and abroad into an economy where the private sector, ISM, ISM services, housing is shrinking. We know this playbook. We saw this playbook in 2021 and 2022. What happens when you hand out trillions of dollars when the private sector supply chains are shrinking on a leg? Big time inflation. Growth and inflation. Okay, guess what we're doing? We're just doing like a slightly modified version of what we did in 2020 and 2021, except we're calling it interest expense. We're calling it higher for longer. So like the question of is it higher growth or is it higher inflation expectations? Yes, but this it's that second derivative that people don't understand yet, which is, oh my God, it's the Fed that's doing that. And the higher they go, the worse they're gonna make it. And there's no brakes on this thing. And when people realize that, oh my God, like that, and that's why I say, I think it's gonna get very disorderly in a very short period of time. Cause like everybody there, the TLT, the long US treasury, long-term treasury is a dogmatic position. People love that trade and they are sure they're right and they're wrong. Yep, and, and they have a, you know, a, a back test chart of every time that ISM has declined, TLT does well, the long bond uh, rallies and yields go down and it's, it's not working. I'm right, I'm right there with you, it's not working. It's, it's, right, it's not working and they're like, they're like doubling down, they're digging in, they're not saying, under normal circumstances, they say, all right, I'm wrong and move on. And they're not, uh, from what I can tell. And like I said, it's, you always want to know where, you know, who's on the other side of your trade. And I saw someone comment something on the other day on Twitter where they're like, hedge funds are short, like, you know, the most short treasuries they've been yeah. like ever. And I, I'm like, oh my God, like, really? Like, like that's, oh my God, because Literally, there's been our we've, we've we've highlighted article after article for our clients. It's been written about for the last month. We remember it from 2019. That's one half of a trade. The yep. hedge funds aren't short those futures. That's part of the relative value trade. Yep. And it's going against them. And at some point, like this group of investors who you know uh, Joseph Wong um, oh, yeah. uh, has had a he's brilliant right. He had a great yeah. tweet on Friday. He goes, "Remember the pain trade." Is higher. Back in late May, he said they're starting to put the relative value trade on the biggest margin, one of the biggest marginal investors, uh, buyers of, of treasury, of cash treasuries, not the futures, cash treasuries, are hedge funds. And it's going against these guys. And these guys are very, uh, they have monthly mandates, right? So if a trade goes against them, they are not dogmatic. They, they It's like, it's against us, we're out. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so uh, folks are saying, look how short treasuries the hedge fund community is. They're short treasury futures against uh, being long cash, cash treasuries. So right. they're harvesting that little, you know, minuscule yes. spread. Explain to me how this is a bad thing because 
I talk to people all the time who say uh, hire for longer isn't realistic, but they say it for a different reason than, than you. They say because the economy can't handle 4%, 5%, 6% rates, and that it's going to throw the economy into a slowdown. What you're saying is actually that higher interest rates are stimulative and uh, perhaps, and actually they, they stimulate growth. That sounds to me like a, a, a good thing. You said there are no breaks on that thing. Don't we want the economy to be vroom, vroom, you know, at a 120 miles an hour? What can, what, what, what can go wrong? This sounds like a good thing. It's a good thing if you're long, if you're not long bonds. And it's a good thing if there is, if the US federal debt is not what it is and they can finance any rate and they can't, there's a rate at which it becomes so mathematically obvious that even the staunchest, uh, I have to be kind here, um, analysts support that there's not a fiscal problem will start to go, uh, guys, um, there's a fiscal problem. And I would argue we passed that point about three weeks ago when, when you had like the Washington consensus in the Washington Post going, hey, how come the deficits are so big with unemployment so low? That's really weird. We've never seen this before. So if you have rates go up, it's on a lag. It's basically a, an interest payment stimmy. So the government's going to spend. Okay, fine. That's going to drive growth. That's going to drive employment. Yes. The challenge is, is that the private sector that you need in theory to finance those deficits will be shrinking. It's a classic crowding out problem. I'll, I'll use an extreme because it's just easy math. Let's take, let's say the Fed goes higher for longer, takes rates to, I don't know, uh, 10%. You know, I don't think they're going to do that. It's just easier math than seven. So let's just do 10. Okay, so you're going to have 3.3 trillion in pro forma interest expense, 10% times 33 trillion. That is about 12% of GDP, right? So 26 trillion GDP, 3.3 trillion on top of that. Okay, so roughly 12% of GDP stimulus. In the meantime, all of the bank's holdings of treasuries are going to be wildly upside down. The, the housing market is going to be really tanking. Uh, anything interest rates going to be tanking, interest rate sensitive. So your government revenues are going to be falling dramatically. And as a reminder, we're at, you know, we've seen revenues down 20%. Uh, it's down more like seven on a trailing 12 month basis now, and they should get a little bit better actually in the coming months, but your revenues are going to collapse at 10% because we're a highly interest rate sensitive economy we financialized over the last four years. So now you're going to have the government running, you know, 3.3 trillion in interest, a trillion in defense, 3.1 trillion in entitlements. Um, so that's uh, 6.4 plus a trillion is 7.4 trillion in outlays just in the big three. Receipts fell from 4.8 4.8 trillion to 4.2 trillion. Um, just with what the Fed just did. We haven't even really caught up on interest yet. So say that number goes down another 20% to call it 3.3 trillion, which is probably conservative. Wait, what's 3.3 trillion? The receipts? Receipts, okay. receipts. So you're gonna be looking at what I say, seven, four over three, three, you're gonna have a $4.1 trillion deficit. Okay, $4.1 trillion deficit is just short of 350 billion a month net you have to place. Plus roll, which Jamie Dimon said next year over the next 12 months is 5 trillion in roll that you need. Okay, now the dollar is going to be rising like crazy in that because you're going to be squeezing out the global dollar markets. Well, foreigners have seven and a half trillion in treasuries they can sell, including 3.8 trillion 
at the central bank level. So you're going to add on a net supply basis to that uh, uh, $4.1 trillion deficit plus $5 trillion roll plus uh, up to $3.8 trillion as these nations sell to defend their, their, their currencies. And, and people say, well, that's a position of weakness. They're, they're selling to defend their currencies. Again, who cares? They're selling. All I care about is what's it do for rates in the bond? They're selling. And they will sell aggressively. And so that's also going to take receipts down as it puts more upward. So what you can see is, and oh, by the way, the Fed's supposedly going to be selling a trillion two still in QT. Of course, they won't be in that case. But this is why I say I don't get the sense people understand there's no breaks on this thing right now. Like as soon as the hedge funds go the other way, and they will eventually, uh, there's no breaks. There's no breaks. The Fed are the breaks. And people say, well, they can buy it all. I'm like, yeah, they can. And that'll have implications for gold, Bitcoin, oil, dollar. And they're going to have to buy it all with oil at 95, So you said the hedge funds go the other way. Now they're long the futures and short the cash, or are they taking a directional position in US? I'm just saying they have to, if they're the biggest marginal buyer, one of the yeah. biggest marginal buyers of treasuries, to take that position off, they have to unwind it at some point, whether because they've made money or because they're, they're getting stopped out. Right. Uh, they, so are, you, they are not, yeah, they're not buying for any, they're not like central banks who can like buy for political reasons. They don't have to mark the market. They don't have to explain to their investors why they just got carried out on a trade. It doesn't matter, right? The, the Fed's, Fed's lost, what have they lost? A trillion on their bond portfolio and they're, they're burning 300, 400 billion a year cash losses. Like they don't have to explain it to anybody. They don't have to explain it to anybody. Investors, hedge funds, they have to explain it like monthly. And and if they lose start losing too much money, they just get taken out of their seat, replaced. So like that, they're not going to stay for a trade that goes against them. What? Uh, so you said you know, to make it simple math, ten uh, percent rates all across the curve, and then you I think you, you multiplied that just by the um, amount of of, of debt, uh, roughly thirty trillion. You, you can give us the the good numbers. Yes, on, on. Helixsolutions.io. We have a live chat that you can hop on the website, hop on the live chat, and talk with one of our people at Helix. They'll walk you through it all. From nuts to bolts, baby. We, my friends, we can't make it any more simple. If we did, we'd have to ship out a coloring book. <laughs> Love you guys. Back to the show. But what about uh, that, you know, all of the U.S. debt is financed over a term of, you know, one day to 30 years. And I'll, I'll, so much you know, of that is fixed rate. So the 10-year, you know, if they, if they borrowed at 1% and then interest rates go to 10%, that interest expense stays flat. It's only, the, it's only when it has to be refinanced when interest rates go up. So how have you seen real financing costs uh, go up relative to that assumption that uh, of, just you know, multiplying the debt by the, the interest rates, and then also, is there a, perhaps a benefit of if everyone in the world, banks, the Federal Reserve, other central banks, bought a 
a voluminous amount of treasuries when you know yields were at one percent or one and a half percent in 2020 and they bought that at, at par a hundred dollars and now that's at seventy dollars is that not in some way some sort of gain to the government that you know some way they convince the everyone in the world to buy buy their debt at too high a price too low a yield you know when jamie diamond says they need to roll five trillion in the next 12 months that's uh what is that? It's 20% of the debt in roll right off, right? Off. I want to say over the next two years, they've got to roll a little over half of it, right? So, um, and that leads to a question of, hey, with rates at basically zero, why didn't they term it all out? And there's two possible answers to that. A, they're galactically stupid, or B, they can't. In other words, and that's the dirty little secret that I think nobody wants to talk about, but I'm from Cleveland, so you know, I don't, I'm not couth enough <laughs> to not say it. And the, the answer is, is the deepest, most liquid market in the world ain't very deep and liquid, and certainly not deep and liquid enough at the long end to place the, the deficits and the size that we're throwing, that the federal government's throwing them off. And, and that's, you know, if I'd have said that five years ago, that would have been highly inflammatory and controversial. And now, it's not at all. Like if you talk to someone, like you talk to, to, to people in senior seats, it's, it's very obvious. That's the reason why they didn't turn it out. He's just not talked about polite company, but like I said, I'm from Cleveland. So um, as far as the second answer, is it a game for the government? Yeah, it is. There's a great quote from William McChesney Martin, the fed governor that everybody loves. Cause he was the guy before Burns. Mm -hmm. The quote is when McChesney Martin was the Assistant Secretary of the Treasury, I believe he said it in 1951, right after World War II, when our debt to GDP looked a lot like it looks now, um, or it did certainly five years prior uh, to 1951. Uh, it is the lead quote on a white paper uh, from Carmen Reinhardt and Bell and Zabrancia from 2016, I think, called The Liquidation of Government Debt which ought to give you a pretty good idea of, of <laughs> you know, liquidation. We're watching the government debt get liquidated as we speak. Uh, the quote is regarding the two and three quarter non-convertible non issue of 30-year treasuries. We want to meet these concerns head on about whether it is a trick issue. It is. And the trick issue because guess what they did they turned it out and they you were not allowed to convert it i guess and basically the real value of those 30-year bonds in 1951 went to zero by 1980 um in terms of what they bought you know oil was two bucks in 1951 mm -hmm. because inflation went up and because interest went up so it was worth less it is yeah the, the real and the nominal value collapsed too for sure but the, the real but my point is, is like you could do that once you can, you can snucker the world once, and then you get what we're starting to see, which is I tweeted about it yesterday. I wrote about it last week. Tavi Costa has this great chart showing that downside volatility in gold for the first time in 45 years is less than long-term treasuries. Markets are telling you gold is less risky than treasuries now. They pulled it off once. They snuckered them once. Oh, my God. But you didn't fix anything. If you're going to do that, you need to get GDP down. Like, that's... You know, 45 to 51, U.S. debt to GDP went from 110 to 50%. You snooker people. Real rates went to negative 13. It was what it was. There was a different time and, and a, 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 an understanding of why that had to happen, whatever. They've snookered people, and debt to GDP is exactly where it was when they started snookering people. And so now you have to 
you still have to place all this, right? Two trillion, assuming no recession, we place two trillion next year. This is Jamie Dimon telling the world this two weeks ago. And also we need to roll five trillion next year. Now what are you gonna do? If the playbooks of the last time debt to GDP was this high was uh, you know 1945, it was it was over 150%. What was that snookering? What happened? Why, why can't the U.S. government snooker bondholders around the world again? But first, tell us what you mean by snookering. It's just negative real rates. And it's been my playbook the whole time. Um, we wrote, so, so, so what happened then was, um, you know, 10-year treasuries were long-term treasuries is how they have it historically. We're at 2% in 19, November 1941. And Japan bombed Pearl Harbor, and overnight the ten-year Treasury, long-term Treasury, went from two to two and a half. And the Fed came in and kept it at two and a half. Uh, they kept the ten-year at two and a half. They kept the the short end. I want to say at three eighths or three quarters. I don't remember. Um, so there was a slightly positive yield curve, and they kept it flat from forty-two to 1951 for ten years. And as a bondholder, you got paid every dime you were owed. Uh, and you got killed on a real basis. Uh, it, at worst, in the United States, uh, real rates were negative 13%. Uh, Post-war, at, at worst, real rates in Japan were negative 60, 60%. Uh, in parts of Europe, in Australia, they were negative 30 to negative 40%. At worst, uh, you lost a ton of money on a real basis. Thank you for your donation to the war effort. Uh, and by 1951, debt to GDP was down to 50%. Uh, and then they were able to separate Fed and Treasury go back to independent Fed policy, and you can start to uh, manage um, monetary policy separate from fiscal policy again, because you can do that without blowing up the system. Fast forward to 2020 and early 2021, uh, wrote uh, in early 21, I wrote a, a report for clients that said they need to run the same playbook. <clears throat> go back to late 2020, Jason Furman, Ben Bernanke, Larry Summers, uh, 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 Olivia Blanchard, uh, Ken Rogoff, all were part of a discussion of a white paper by, by uh, Furman and, and Summers saying we need to run the same playbook. We need to basically inflate this away. Um, and what I wrote and, and analyzed in a simple uh, analysis was that the last time the Fed was able to, to manage policy raise rates without blowing something up was when rate was when debt to GDP was 70 to 80%. I said, so we need to go from 120 to 70 to 80%. And the simple math in terms of negative rates needed to drive that were somewhere between negative 10 and negative 20% real rates in the United States for three to five years. That's it. And at first in 21, it looked like they were doing that. It's like, okay. And then politics got involved in early 22, the Russian war, um, got involved, uh, the election got involved, and all of a sudden the Fed said, uh-oh, we, we need to fight inflation. Okay, um, and at first I didn't believe they were gonna do it, because like, well, they have this playbook. They laid the playbook out pre-20, right? The, Black, the BlackRock white paper in August of 2019 is like, we're just gonna inflate this away. We're, we're gonna go direct, we're gonna fiscal, and the Fed's gonna buy it. And then it happened, and then they went direct, and they did fiscal, and the Fed started buying it, and in 21 they did it, and in summers, and all these guys blessed it. And then, in so at first in 22, I was like, they're not going to reverse it. If they reverse this, this is going to be a disaster. And then it was like, oh my God, they're reversing it. So it was like, <laughs> you know, I, in, April, in, in mid April 2022, it was like, what they're doing, the only thing this is good for is a dollar. Like everything else is going to go down treasuries, stocks, everything's going to go down. Um, 
then they bought themselves time last October when when they weakened the dollar by about fifteen percent. Um, how, how did they do that? Uh, primarily, t- uh, Yellen running down the TGA massively more than offset QT. The point here is 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 what's the playbook they need to do is the Fed needed to let inflation continue to run hot in twenty two and twenty three. And had they done so, we'd probably be getting to a point where debt to GDP was 70 to 80% by now, and they would be able to start hiking. And, you know, in other words, that said that, that the markdown of bonds from 100 to 70 at the long end, they needed to be 100 to 20. They need to be 100 to 10. Like they didn't do enough because debt to GDP didn't come down. So they weren't, they weren't aggressive enough. And so now here we are. Um, and they haven't made any progress and they've already kind of run the playbook of like, okay, mark the debt down. Like, okay, you want to mark it down again? You can't because you didn't get debt to GDP down enough. If debt to GDP had gone down to 70, then you still have the option of letting rates go from five to seven to eight. It doesn't bankrupt you. With debt to GDP still at 120 and deficits at eight and a half, you let rates go from five to seven to 10, you're done. It's over. You go into a, 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 a feedback loop. And that's, I think we're starting to see symptoms of that feedback loop. I think the fact that gold has less downside volatility than treasuries for the first time in 45 years is a symptom that markets are starting to understand. The U.S. is about to go into a feedback loop. Feedback loop. I think the fact that real rates have risen the most in 40 years and gold hasn't gone down is another symptom of markets beginning to understand the U.S. is that close to going into a feedback loop. You say, okay, well, what, that, what happens then? They told you. They told you at Jackson Hole, and no one wanted to talk about it. Duffy, Daryl Duffy, wrote a white paper, and uh, Jeremy Stein commented on it. And they said, we're going to, we may need to, the Fed may need to uh, tell markets and differentiate between market functioning purchases of treasuries and monetary policy purchases of treasuries. Wait, what? And like to me, that was the biggest takeaway from. From Jackson Hole. There was a whole bunch of, of ink spilled. Only a couple people picked it up. But like they know they have a problem and they're hoping this doesn't go against them. They're hoping, but it's got like the math is the math. Hope's not a strategy. They're gonna have to do it. And I think they know it, which is why they're talking about it at such an important meeting, Jackson Hole. And I, I, we're rapidly heading toward that moment. I'm watching the gears spinning. And unless, again, unless the dollar gets lowered meaningfully or unless oil gets lowered meaningfully. Um, this is likely going to happen. So interest rates uh, rate raise the fiscal expense and they you know, can create more debt to fund that expense. So that increases debt to GDP. But uh, wouldn't higher interest rates also cause GDP to go down uh, and, and nominal GDP, particularly you know, inflation dominated uh, GDP? And it's because if, if, you know, I think the way Jay Powell thinks about this is if interest rates go back to zero, that is not going to help the U.S. debt problem because uh, inflation is going to run super hot and the government is probably going to borrow even more. And, uh, you know, not, not saying that, you know, Powell is Vol- Volcker, but Volcker was very anti-debt. And unlike today's uh, Federal Reserve, he was quite open about his desire to shrink the U.S. Uh, a deficit. In other words, you know, high interest rates discourage government borrowing because if you want to borrow at twenty percent to fund a government project, it's not going to work out very long. Powell's no Volcker. Um, he can't be Volcker. Deficit when Volcker would try did what he did was two percent of GDP. It's eight 
on a trailing 12 month basis. Debt, debt to GDP was 25 to 30%. There was literally, Volcker couldn't hike rates enough to bankrupt the government. How can? And it ain't that far from here. And when I say bankrupt, it's either the Fed comes in and caps it or it goes into a debt spiral. Powell uh, may, seems to want to mandate government policy. In other words, he wants to make government borrowing more expensive. Maybe he's doing that. Um, but if that's the case, he needs to pick up a history book because I would challenge him to find a country with a purely fiat currency that it could print where the government shut down, where the government shrank itself voluntarily. He'd be very hard pressed to find an example. So what's he actually doing? He's actually increasing the deficit. Because when you look at what makes up the deficit, it's entitlements, 31, you know, 3.1 broadly defined, that's health and human services and social security. And so that's 3.1 trillion on 4.2 trillion in receipts. So that's almost 70% of receipts just on entitlements. And that's just, it. to be clear, that's just an interest expense. That's just the interest expense on the off balance sheet liabilities. Let's go to hundred trillion or whatever the hell they are. Let's just be clear and call that what it is. Defense. So is, is Powell, you know, people say, well, the, the, the bond market's doing, doing the Fed's job for it. Yeah, it's doing Putin's too. So is Powell saying we should shut down defense because he's raising rates? That's what he's doing. Is that the right thing to do for America? I don't know. Who elected him? That I, Nobody. Um, is it going to happen? There's not a chance. There is zero chance he's going to shrink defense spending by raising rates. All he's going to do is make the yeah. deficit bigger. So bigger deficits with three and a half percent unemployment. Now, can he shrink the private sector up? But sure he can. But if he's making deficits bigger while shrinking private sector output, he's going to shrink receipts. He's going to make deficits even bigger from two angles. He's going to send interest up and he's going to send receipts down, which is going to send issuance up and the dollar up, which is going to send more net supply up as foreigners sell to defend their currencies, which can send rates up, which is going to send receipts on the private side down, which is going to send risk. People say he hasn't broken anything yet. He has broken it, and it's about to be marked to market. We're watching it in real time. He's broken two things. He's broken, he's he's on the process of breaking the treasury market, and he's in, and he's already broken the US energy market, because that's the other thing. How has he broken the US energy market? Oh, because shale is is interest rate sensitive. He and Biden have combined. The SPR releases and Fed rate hikes. Last week, it just came out. The Permian is rolling over. Permian production is negative in the, in, in the AA data in, in October. Like, so, so let's, let's get to it. We want to fight Putin. We're in a war. Okay. If we're really in a war, why isn't he buying all the debt? Why is he raising rates? And why is he hurting oil? Those are literally the, the, the opposite of the two things that you do in war. So either we're not in a war or he's not acting interest in, the United, in, in the interests of the United States. I don't know which it is. You know, in World War II, in Vietnam, they have, the Fed held rates below and we maximized oil production. I'm not sure if, he, if, he's, if he's doing this on purpose or, or if he's just acting dogmatically to raise rates. But in the end, again, it doesn't matter. Like this is what's happening. So let's say in a year, September 2024, the Federal Reserve has maintained interest rates at 5.5% and is still doing quantitative tightening. 
what does that world look like? The unemployment rate, stock market, the long-term bond, the dollar, gold. Tell me what that world looks like. I don't think we make it September 2024 before something really breaks in that world. Um, he would need, for him to stop inflation, if he wants to continue, if he wants to run this thing out, if he really wants to be Volcker, what he needs to do is when the 10-year spikes to six, stand aside. And when the U.S. banking system starts to fail, stand aside. And when people start saying to him, oh, I'm an unsecured depositor, my money's going to go away, stand aside. And when a treasury auction has a problem at that rate because of the net supply dynamics, because 6% implies a much higher dollar, lots of foreign selling, stand aside. And when oil's at 110 because it's 6% rates, there's not, you know, stand aside. And the reality is, is he's had that chance to stand aside and he didn't. He did BTFP. He, you know, they, they just paused. They, they, they can't, you know, they have... He had the chance back in March to do all that, and he didn't. So to me, it's all about when when does this supply-demand dynamic create disorderly upside in yields where he comes in and does market function purchases of treasuries or to, for market resilience of the treasury market, right? And we saw a little hint of that last week, in my opinion. Uh, we had that a treasury official come out and say, now we're going to do, remember, we're going to do treasury buybacks for the first time in 20 years to, for market resilience, to build and boost the resilience of the U.S. treasury market, which is the deepest, most liquid market in the world, trademark 1985 USA. If it's so deep and liquid, why do you need to do buybacks to boost its resilience? You know, it's sort of like, the, you know, a few good men. You know, if you gave the order that Santiago wasn't to be touched and your orders were always followed, why was he in danger? Why did he have to be transferred off the base? Same thing here. If, if if the market is so resilient, why do they need to do buybacks? Why do they need to even discuss market function purchases at at at, at Jackson Hole versus and and differentiate them from monetary policy purchases? Answer is you know, <laughs> yeah, he ordered the code red. So I you know I don't. I, what does that world look like if the world's still there? If he stands aside. It's, it's a new Great Depression. He's not going to stand aside. And I think it happens way before then that he doesn't stand aside in terms of what rates do. But what's going to break? So as you said, the Federal Reserve initiated the bank term funding program, which is allows, you know, my, my audience is very familiar with this as, as you are, uh, al allowed banks to borrow against their fallen assets at par. So that's a big help to the bank term funding program. But like what, when you say things are going to break, what, what be, please be specific. What do you mean? The oil market didn't, the U.S. shale business is breaking. Like that's, and this to me is one of these really interesting things is everyone is fighting the last war, the Fed included. Shale supported the dollar, shale supported the bond market, shale kept inflation low. 90% of global oil production growth over the last 10 years has come from U.S. shale. U.S. shale is now starting to roll over thanks to the SPR releases and the Fed rate hikes. People say, oof, if oil keeps going up, the Fed's going to have to keep raising rates. Shale just rolled over. Permian, Permian production is set to decline in October, per the EIA last week. So 90% of global production growth 
over the last 10 years is now shrinking. So what, what how is oil going to go down if supplies, marginal supplies are fall? Oh, well, they can shrink the economy, but they're not shrinking the economy. The U.S. government, the GDP is doing great. So you're going, they, they, the, the feedback loop between higher oil, which increases inflation expectations, which forces more treasury selling from foreigners because they need energy more than they need dollars. They need energy more than they need treasuries, no matter what anybody says. It accelerates this feedback loop of net treasury supply rates up rates up, interest expense up, interest expense up, more government spending deficits up, private sector down, private sector supplies down. Like it's a, it's hard to overstate how toxic this is. It's all like you, it's, it's plain as day. It is so clear. We're just now going to start to really watch it. So do you think that, that everything being equal, which it never is, but everything being equal uh, in, in interest rates, higher interest rates cause the price of oil to go up, not down? Paradoxically, up to, and unless you're willing to like really crash the global economy. Yeah. Yeah. Because then this is another factor that like, if I was trading bonds and rates, I would be intimately familiar with U.S. shale. And the reality is, is most people that trade bonds and rates that I've encountered, like they say, well, we're now one of the biggest producers of oil globally. And that's that. And they don't understand exactly that it's been 90% of global production growth over the last 10 years. They don't understand that U.S. shale is the highest marginal cost oil or close to it in the world. They don't understand that once you stop drilling, there's a treadmill effect. So basically you have to keep growing production at very large rates, um, otherwise production falls. They don't understand that the, that the uh, decline rate on the legacy production last month from the big four shale basins, Permian, the Bakken, the Eagle Ford, and the Niobrara, were 6.6% per month last month. It's not, a, it's not a linear rate of decline. It, the rate of decline declines over time. But again, they don't understand that. Uh, they don't understand that if you hurt shale, you see the oil market back to Saudi and Russia. They don't understand what Russia and Saudi. Now, if we have hurt our own ability, if Powell with rate hikes and Biden with SPR releases has hurt our ability to keep oil prices down, what do we think Russia's going to do with oil this winter? Well, we don't have to guess anymore because they just temporarily suspended exports of diesel. You know, there's the rate silo and there's the energy silo. And like the energy guys I'm talking to are like, oh my God. And like the rates guys are like, oh, don't worry. Like inflation is going to come down. They don't understand the pro-cyclical nature of what rates are going to do to U.S. oil production and what that implies for oil inflation, for uh, geopolitics, etc. cetera. Um, and that's, you know, for the last three, four months, that's been the oil guy's gain and the bond guy's loss. And I think it's going to continue to be. And at some point, the bond guys are going to go, oh, my God. And then things are going to get real interesting because once they realize that, the U.S. has put a, you know, has has put a bullet in U.S. shale production growth. So now Russia and Saudi control the oil market again. Why do I own TLT? You know, you're, you're, it basically limits your case to like they're going to literally fly the plane into the ground. They're gonna they're going to crash the system. They're gonna they're gonna shut down. Like, can you get oil down? Yes. Shut down the economy like COVID. You get oil down. You get it goes negative. 
failing that. But but oh, by the way, at, at the bottom of COVID in March of 2020, Treasury started selling off. Remember, Treasury market crashed. So, you know, these, you know, owning TLT is like trying to capture increasingly. It's like this shrinking, shrinking trade where it's like, okay, if they crash the economy enough like they did in COVID, that oil really goes down and there's a short-term scramble for liquidity. Well, yields will fall uh, as markets come, uh, as stocks go into bonds. And so I want to capture it for the moment from here to like right before it crashes and yields start going back up again. And then before the Fed put, and, and if, if you can trade that, hey, great. But, you, but I don't get the sense people, I know I can't trade that. I, don't, I get the sense a lot of people don't understand the game they're playing as it relates to that long bond trade. What do you think happens with oil? Because you know, we're close to $100 on Brent. Do you, I mean, do you think that there is a uh, recessionary effect when oil gets quite high? As it, you know, oil went to $120 in June, that's when you had a, you know, we're not calling it a recession. I don't think it was a recession, but a mid-cycle slowdown. And then up, oil starts going down. What do you have happen? Suddenly, we were started hearing about a resilient economy. So, I mean, is there a limiting factor where if oil goes to $120, uh, the world will enter a recession or $150 because of demand destruction? There's initial derivative effects, and then there's second derivative effects, right? So if oil goes to 120 or 150 yes, it's going to slow the private sector dramatically. It's going to increase U.S. shale production in theory, right? Uh, so ISM is going to go up in the U.S. And so the Fed's going to need to raise rates even more, right? ISM all of a sudden is going to print 52, 53 from whatever, 48. And it's going to be all oil drilling related and supply chain related. And all of a sudden it's going, oh, my God, they got to raise rates even more. Um, that's number one. So possible, but, but not good for bonds. <laughs> uh, number one. Number two, oil at 120, 150. I go back to the initial point I made about unless you get the dollar down and you get oil down, the pain in bonds is going to continue. Foreigners own 7.5 trillion in U.S. Treasuries total, so their central banks own 3.8 trillion of that, and they need oil. And so if oil's at 120, it's not like they buy 30% less oil and let their people starve and ride bikes. They buy the oil and they sell the treasuries. So if oil was 120, 150, that net rate of treasury selling, effective selling we talked about before, accelerates. So you're going to get, if oil goes 120, 150, TLT, when I jumped on here this morning, is at 89, it'd be at friggin' 75. And again, some point between here and there, I think the Fed, and, it, and by the way, it could do that in like three weeks, four weeks. So would that hurt oil? Yes, if the Fed is willing to stand aside and let treasury markets dysfunction. In my opinion, there is zero chance the Fed is going to stand aside uh, as TLT goes from 90 to 75 in a few weeks. Or and what does treasury market dysfunction uh, mean to you? Is it about an absolute level uh, TLT at, at 75? Uh, let's just say the 30-year, the 10-year at at 5.5%? Or is it about a series of uh, asynchronous movements? If we gradually move to 10-year at 6%, but it's not at all volatile, uh, is, is that a, a treasury market breaking? What, what does it mean to you? 
To me, it's about the the liquidity and the, the asynchronous of the movements. And, and to be clear, we're talking about, you know, whatever, it's 33 trillion out and what I think it's. I, oh, Mary, this is not financial advice. But yes. <laughs> I would. I would be out of everything except freaking Bitcoin. I mean, go full Michael Saylor. That's that's what I'm that's what I'm telling my friends. Go full Michael Saylor. Hold nothing but Bitcoin because it's the only thing that's gonna survive this shit show. what a 24 trillion size is what they quote maybe 25 whatever it is the anything that big is going to create a synchronous move anything that big relative to balance sheet capacity like who who has the balance sheet capacity to deal with those kind of losses you're talking about a 25 trillion dollar market if it drops five percent someone has lost a tr over a trillion dollars. Someone's gained a trillion, someone's lost a trillion. Depending on who's lost that trillion and how that's accounted for, like that, that requires you to sell something else. And that's why, and that something else will force the dollar up, which will force more selling. Like I, this, the feedback loops are multiple and, and generally all in one direction because sort of every lever has been pulled to sort of hold this thing up and support it as long as it has been held up. When I proposed September 2020. Listen to what he just said. The feedback loop. This is the spiral that we're going down. Everyone who knows it, knows it. You know who they're not telling? Let me tell you who they're not telling. Tall Mary. Hey Mary, has your mutual fund representative, has he called you? Have they sent you an email? Have they said, hey beautiful, uh, yeah, shit's hitting the fan. We might want to readjust. No. Tom Mary says, I called him, and he said, things okay next week. Things okay next week. My response would have been, what about right now? Right. 
That's the financial market trying to figure out how do we phrase this where we can profit. Watch, watch, watch. I bet you he says, I, right, next, whenever you talk to him next, say, right, um, are my bonds, are my bonds making me money right now? Because I know you have a fiduciary obligation to me that is legally binding. Do you think that I will be in a better position in the coming months? Or do you think I'll be in a worse position in the coming months? I mean, since you're since you're a fiduciary and you're obligated to tell me the truth. And if you lie to me, I can sue the fuck clean out of you. And watch him stumble fuck through that conversation. That should be an interesting conversation, Mary. Twenty-four. You said the the wheels come off this thing earlier. What what do you think in terms of, of timeline, and what are things you will be on the lookout for? Of oh, if when the ten year hits five percent, this will happen, or when gold hits this level, this will happen. It's a little bit like the whole. <laughs> you may be too young to remember this, and I'm I'm not jacking you on that. But there was a, a, a art exhibition in Cincinnati back in like 1990 of Robert Maplethorpe art, and some federal judge was like, I, you know, I don't have the definition for uh, profane, but I know it when I see it. Mm-hmm, and yeah. it's a little bit of the same kind of thing, which is, um, you know, let's see what the Treasury Move Index does. That's been relatively tame so far. Let's see what the banks do. Let's see what. Um, Let's see what treasury markets do. Let's see what the dollar does. Let's all these, let's see what oil does. Let's see what geopolitics do, right? Like, you know, these things are so interconnected where, you know, two weeks ago we saw, you know, Sky News in England reporting on missiles that reporting proudly that British missiles were used to hit Russian ships at a, at a, at a naval base in, in, I think it was in Sevastopol uh, in, in, in Crimea. And you, you kind of go, hey, great. What do you think the Russians are going to do? Like, you actually think they're just going to sit there and do that? Or, you know, uh, or might they weaponize oil more? And if they weaponize oil more, what does that mean for rates? What are, well, know, then how do, they, how do they fund their war effort? Oh, China's, China will buy it. But that's the fungible market. If, if China's buying it, then, you know, oil traders can buy it from China or buy it from India. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and, 
Exactly, right? Oil, it's a fungible market, but it's also a, an elastic market, right? Russia can cut production by 3% and price goes up a hell of a lot more than 3%. And, you know, they can do what they just announced two weeks ago, which is, you know, hey, starting in January, we're going to sell gas to China at half the price of the EU. Okay, how do you compete with, with, with gas twice as much as your competitor? And the answer is you don't. You go out of business slowly. All right, folks, this is something else I want you to listen to. I don't know if I talked about it, but I think I did. I don't know if I did, but I should. Russia announced that they're going to be selling natural gas to China for half the price of what they're paying now from others. Do you know what that's gonna do to the oil price and the natural gas price? Because, let me tell you the little secret, folks. They're selling the natural gas to China at half price so that China can sell to the rest of the countries. It's how Russia gets around the sanctions. And America will not sanction China. Russia gets rich. China gets richer. And the rest of the world, listen to me, folks. The rest of the world quits buying natural gas. America. You think I'm playing? Do you think Russia's playing? My friends, Joe Biden has us in such a fucking predicament. We are so bent over the barrel right now. What mark mark my my friends you think I'm fucking playing. Mark my words. Within the next three weeks, Ukraine, the president of Ukraine will be literally sucking Putin's dick to get absorbed into Russia. Watch. Because the money's cut off from America. No Speaker of the House, 
no money. No speaker of the house. No one to sign off on treasury bonds. No treasury bonds. No money. Printing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And, and exactly right. Oil, it's a fungible market, but it's also a, an elastic Let, market. Right? Listen, to what he says. listen to what he says, folks. You think I'm bullshitting. The price goes up a hell of a lot more than 3%. And, you know, they can do what they just announced two weeks ago, which is, you know, hey, starting in January, we're going to sell gas to China at half the price of the EU. Okay, how do you compete with, with, with gas twice as much as your competitor? And the answer is you don't. You go out of business slowly. Um, and so but my point here is it relates to the original question, which is with what, what am I watching? I'm, I'm sort of watching like all of this, right? Um, you know, what, what's, what are the geopolitics? What does the oil market do? The key, two key levers, dollar, Oil. We'll simplify that. Unless the dollar goes down a lot, or unless oil goes down a lot, the beatings in treasury markets and gilt markets and boot markets and Italian bond market, they will continue. And they will continue. And they will continue until we get a repo rate September 2019 spike, except in Western sovereign bond markets. And then everyone's going to go, I, I don't see how, how come nobody saw this had happened? How nobody knew the Fed had already broken something? And, and I'm, I'm telling you, they've already broken something. So we can, we can reference back there. How, no one could have seen it. I saw it. It is so obvious to it. When it's, did the Fed break something? Uh, when they decided to tighten instead of let inflation rise. But what was the, the thing that broke? What was the thing that broke? Mm -hmm. The U.S. fiscal position. The U.S. fiscal position and U.S. shale. U.S. tax receipts trailing 12 months uh, as of a month and a half ago down 20%. You don't get to have receipts fall like that when you have debt to GDP of 120%. Why, why do they fall 20%? Stock market was down, drove receipts down, receipts down, drives issuance up. Mm -hmm. And you already have a supply-demand problem. You don't get to increase supply into what is already a tenuous supply-demand problem. Like there's only so many bears you can poke, right? Like you can't reduce issuance or increase issuance because you knock stocks down, increase issuance because you raised rates, increase issuance because the dollar's strengthening based on what you've done, increase issuance because you've hurt your own oil business, which is hurting receipts, which is increasing uh, in oil inflation, which is increasing rates, increase issuance because you're picking a fight with the two biggest, uh, with the biggest energy uh, supplier in the world and with your biggest, former biggest creditor uh, and, and the world's factory. You don't get to do that. You have to pick and choose. And so like it's when they didn't let, when the Fed did not let inflation run hot for as long as they needed to, like that, that started it. Now we're just watching it play out.
But so we said something broke. I feel like, yeah, rate, raising interest rates will mechanically increase interest expense. But so no, no, nothing outside the fiscal position has broken. You're, you're just referring to the fiscal position. I would argue the banks have broken. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. the fact that they need to do BTFP. Uh, look, that like that wasn't a banking problem. That was a treasury market problem. They were upside down. Again, if Powell wanted to be Volcker, the answer was very simple. Stand aside. Banks say, uh-oh, we're upside down. Okay, sell your treasuries. You, you, the banks own four uh, uh, U.S. commercial banks. Holdings of treasuries have gone from, I don't know, at the peak, I want to say they were four and a half trillion, give or take. They're down a bit. Let them sell them all. Sell them all. They had, you know, oh, they would have taken major losses. So, no, they, they, they don't care that they would have taken losses. They didn't want them selling it because it would have created treasury market dysfunction. So the Fed had to get involved. They had to do the BTFP. It's, BTFP is just yield curve control on a, uh, for banks. They're taking underwater bonds and buying them at par. If Powell wanted to be Volcker, stand aside. Why didn't he stand aside? Why did he bail out unsecured depositors? I think because the only way to fix the banking system was door number one is stop quantitative tightening and lower interest rates. And door number two is keep quantitative tightening and keep interest rates high, keep raising interest rates and do BFP, BTFP. I think door number two was the much was the tighter monetary policy door. It was the one that saved the banks, but it was like bank loans are up again. They're rising. So like how, you know, again, if he wanted to be Volcker, he needed to stand aside. He did. He saved. He, he, he picked and choose. You don't get to pick and choose like Volcker, just like, you know, kill them all, let God sort them out. Yeah. But I, I'd say, Dorn, I'd say Powell, it was the tightest thing you could do. I, I don't think he could have not done BTFP and continued to tighten monetary policy. So, so my next question is you're not worried about a recession. You're not at all. sounds like you're not at all worried about higher interest rates causing uh, a recession via the normal channel of banks restricting credit and uh, unemployment. You're not worried about that. No, the, the banks aren't the ones with the problem. Like, well, let me back up. The, the traditional way of doing it is banks restrict credit to people, right? Yeah. So right now, the banks, their rates went up. My rate didn't go up. I got a 30-year mortgage at 2.9. Mm -hmm. Nice. Right? So, And I'm not the only guy. So no. if I'm making 200 basis points between my cash on the bank and my mortgage, there's a bank somewhere bleeding 200 basis points. Yep. And in reality, it's probably the government, right? They probably own the, the, the mortgage backed and, and, and the, the Fed's bleeding. Is, is, that really not, is that really restrictive? If I'm getting a 200 basis point a year debt jubilee, that's not restrictive. It's great. I'm getting a free house. Thank you, Fed. And so are a lot of other people. Um, and so it, it ties back to that point about there's a lot of things with this cycle that are upside down in terms of is it restrictive? Um, it, it, it's not restrictive for the public sector. The deficits are, the deficits, you know, there is no world in which running an 8%, 8.5% deficit, 3.5% unemployment is deflationary. It just isn't. Like, they, they, it's not, and it's not going to be. And yes, you will have deflationary pockets on the private side. That was just netting against for a bit. Ultimately, as that happens, you're going to end up with less supply and more money. That is, is that's super inflationary. Like they're like they've already. That's what I mean. They've already broken it. They did the wrong thing.
They needed to let inflate. Once you get that, the GDP to 120%, like there's no like, well, maybe we can, no. Negative real rates for five years, double digits, come back, that's it. Or you devalue the currency all at once. That's it, 30, 40, 50% overnight. That's it. Those are your choices. Otherwise, like you try to pretend things are still normal. I can be Volcker. No, it's not how it works. And, and you know, they did a good job pretending in 2022. Um, they tried. It failed. The guilt market broke first. Um, the U.S. banks broke. Yes. Is China under strain? Yes. Is China broken? No. China did not break before the banks. No. China did not break before the guilt market. Uh, the treasury market was very, you know, was defunct dysfunctioning right alongside the guilt market. Um, just a little, you know, a few steps behind when when Yellen came in and 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 weakened the dollar, taken taken down uh, TGA so aggressively. What about inflation going to fifteen percent? Then then inter interest uh, real interest rates are negative. That would be great. Yeah, I mean that's that's well, that's what has to happen. Like that's what's. I mean, will it be great? No, I should rephrase that. Like, if they want to get out of this, like that's kind of what has to happen. You got inflation to fifteen, Fed pens it at three, and you know what? You know, the problem is, is, is you can't do that without some sort of capital controls, right? The Fed's going to have to buy the whole bond market because there are nobody is going to hold a bond at three when, you know, inflation's 15. Well, the clearing price will just be 9%. And that's, that's fine. I mean, interest rates can, you know, the bond, bonds can go to 9%. Uh, they can go to 10%, 11%. What, what is so, that's I, what I'm trying to, to get teased at this conversation. What is so unstable about, you know, a, a, a very upward sloping yield curve. Fed Fed is at five point five percent, and the long end sends off sells off to seven percent, eight percent. That's totally unstable because, uh, okay, so five and a half at the front end, nine at the long end. The housing market has tanked across the country, in my opinion. Um, let's set aside all the corporate refinancings that are going to have to take place. Um, and, and that probably hurts things too. Uh, the equity market is probably quite a bit lower. So between the housing market and the equity market, quite a bit lower, um, you are uh, going to have tax receipts quite a bit lower. So your issuance is going to be quite a bit higher. So, okay. So now you're going to need more issuance. 9% long end means the dollar is quite a bit higher. That means that 3.8 trillion that foreign central banks have is quite a bit lower. So Wait, isn't that good for the U.S.? No. Well, good for the U.S. hop. In in terms of its fiscal position, Be no, because it's US because it's live. It's uh, well, foreigners' holdings have declined in value. That's good. That's terrible <laughs> because they're selling. They, well, how does how is that good for the United States? Whether it's good or bad is irrelevant. Here's what it is, like, is, is what it is. Foreigners will be selling. 3.8 trillion. Go back to that math. Okay, let's say 5% front end, 9% long end. U.S. Uh, tax receipts fall another 20% from 4.2 uh, to whatever, 3.3. You're going to be running much bigger deficits. So remember the, the numbers I just gave you before in terms of the spending. Um, what did I say? 7.4 trillion between interest, entitlements, and defense. 
against 3.3 trillion in receipts. So now you're at the 4.1 trillion in deficits you need to finance. Okay. Plus you need 5 trillion in roll next year for Jamie Dimon. Plus you need you're going the dollars going to be much higher. Foreigners are going to be selling. Yes. Now, so is it good or is it bad? Is it putting them in pain? Sure, it's putting them in pain. But it's again, it's like shooting yourself, you know, in the jugular and saying, ha, 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 you know, I'm going to bleed out slower than you are. Um, they have 3.8 trillion at the central bank, 7.5 trillion overall. Let's say they sell that 3.8 trillion in a year. Let's say they sell it in, 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 in a, at a trillion nine a year rate. And the reason they'll be selling is to defend their currency. Correct. So now you've got, what did I say? 7.4 minus 3.3 in receipts. So 4.1 net plus 5 trillion in roll plus 1.9. So you're now going to have six, just 4.1 plus 1.9 is 6 trillion in net effective issuance. Um, and you're going to have the Fed selling another 1.2, allegedly. That probably not, wouldn't be happening, but okay. So now you have the 7.3 trillion net effective issuance. That's just over 600 billion a month in net effective issuance. And now you're also going to have um, 5 trillion in roll. Where's the balance sheet? What's the rating gonna be nine? The rate, rate's not gonna be five and a half. Like there's no balance sheet. So is this good for the US? Yeah, again, as long as Powell is willing to stand aside and let the free market work, but, but that implies, that's why I say there's there's no breaks. You're going to get a nonlinear rise in rates because there isn't a balance sheet at these rates. There just isn't. So now the higher you get a nonlinear rise in rates, guess what? Oops, it's not 7-1. It's, it's, oof, it's 8-1. Oof, it's 9. So now what he just explained is the chart that I showed you with the U.S. Uh, where it jumped, uh, what was it? 300 and something billion dollars in one day. That's what he's, that's what he just explained. That, all right. If the Federal Reserve says we're not going to bail you out, then everything he just said comes true. And the federal government, the federal governments, our government will have to pay, listen to me, folks, 300 and something billion dollars a day just in interest as of right now. Now, if, if the Federal Reserve doesn't reverse course and drop rates the free market will kick in and rates will go up to 
20%. But then that will put, listen to me, folks, that will put the federal government, U.S. government, will have to pay over a trillion dollars a day in interest. Our yearly GDP, about three trillion, Bye-bye. 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 Remember, no house speaker, no money. Bye-bye. There's only one outcome. The Fed's going to have to buy it. What about uh, banks buying it and using the repo facility? The thing that was set up for in 2019, which is the limit, I think, is 500 billion, but the limit is essentially un unlimited. Sure, that's just QE. That's all okay, it okay. But, it, but it, it's the banks owning it rather than uh, the Fed owning it. <laughs> yeah, just like SLR exemptions were the banks rather than the Fed owning it. Like if the banks, if the Fed gives the banks the money to buy it, you know, if your dad gives you the money yeah. to buy a Lamborghini, is it your Lamborghini or your dad's yeah. Lamborghini? It's your dad's Lamborghini. Okay, but, um, but that's not the – that facility already exists. So it's not sure. – yeah. oh, I'm not saying yeah, – to be clear, I'm not saying there aren't buyers. I'm yeah. saying the buyer is – it's, it's the classic the dollar or the, or the treasury market. And the mm -hmm. Fed is going to have to come in and in some way, shape, or form – and, you know, we've been very clear about this in our writing. Like when I say the Fed, it's dollar liquidity. It, it can be treasury with buybacks. It can be uh, SLR exemptions reinstated at the banking level. It can be the, the standing repo facility. It can be all these things. All those things are just QE. And you'll have purists say, no, no, it's not QE. And the market's going to be like, you know, like, like uh, Tommy Lee Jones and the, and the Fugitive, right? You know, I don't care. They're going to buy gold. They're gonna, and I think that's why gold is not going down. Like, the math is so clear. Like, the Fed's going to have to buy it in some way, shape, or form. Because when you lay out the numbers, there isn't the balance sheet. Like, like when I lay out that whatever it was, six trillion conservative plus five trillion roll. By way of comparison, global GDP is what is it? Ninety trillion, growing three. Okay, that's two point seven trillion in global GDP growth. The U.S. will need incremental, and that's you know, that's assuming growth. We, we're talking about a global recession, so it's actually shrinking. But let's be conservative: three trillion in global growth, and the U.S. government needs two x that just in their current financing, net effective. Let alone the role. Like, there's not enough balance sheet. Like, people aren't taking a step back and going, "Oh my God!" Like. And they say, well, it'll get bought. Well, yeah, it'll get bought. I'm not saying it's not going to get bought. It'll get bought by the Fed or it'll get bought by the private sector at much higher rates. And then we just keep playing this game until the rate gets to a point where the Fed says enough. We're buying it and it's not going to go higher. 
but the, so but the uh, repo facilities so that already exists do you think that is sufficient uh in other words the fed can keep rates at 5.5 percent and keep reducing its balance sheet they're just making loans to the private sector to to buy this collateral as it you know occurred in uh, 2019 because there is a difference i mean yeah if your dad lends money to buy a car yeah it's it's, it's not uh, your car, but you do own the car. You just your dad. I mean, presumably, you know, it's a nice uh, arrangement there. But, but like, if a you know a bank lends you money to buy a house, the bank doesn't own the house, and the, ba- the Fed lends. Oh, sure they do. Oh, absolutely they do. Absolutely they do. It's, a, it's <laughs> don't pay them. See how quickly they see how receive you. Yeah, but J.P. Morgan house. can pay the 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 Fed back if 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 if, if a ten years yielding seven percent and mm-hmm. uh, you know five repo rates at five point five percent where short term interest rates are. JP Morgan, they're good for the money, you know, as are most banks. Like that's a that's a positive. Do we just need positive carry in the yield curve, and then banks can basically do a levered trade with Treasuries borrowing from the Fed? That's why I say about getting the dollar down. That's, yeah, that's just, unless you get the dollar down or oil down, the Treasury market's going to keep dysfunction. That will get the dollar down if they do it in enough liquidity. Then yeah, then that will work. You got to get the dollar down. Like that's what you're that's what you're saying is they're going to devalue the dollar. Yeah. Okay. Then. Yeah. Sure. That'll work. But you're not going to. You know, that's the other side of this equation. By five nine. Well. Yeah. It'll work if the dollar's at seventy, not at one hundred five. Mm-hmm. Where? What do you see happening to the dollar now? I mean, it's been strengthening for uh, a little bit now. I think it's going to get. It's, it's the corollary to the. You know, unless they get the dollar down, or they get oil, and they get oil down. Not even or. Really, and uh, the dollar's going to keep going up mm-hmm. because they're they have they have broken this already. They are in this feedback loop. They don't understand they're in this feedback loop. Maybe they do. I think I think they do a little bit. I think they're a little nervous. Um, yeah, I, I kind of sensed a little bit of nervousness from Powell in the September meeting that I I don't normally sense from him. You see, he he used the words "be that. careful." You, you you've seen the movie Margin Call? <laughs> I have. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So there's a scene when the boss, uh, played by Stanley Tucci, gives the the key the um what's it called the flash drive to the you know the the kid and he says, "Be careful." I was working on something, but they wouldn't let me finish it. So. Take a look at it. Be careful. I kind of felt like that when Powell said, "Be careful," seven times. You know, not that I'm predicting some great financial crisis, but uh, yeah, you think they are nervous? If, if they if they understand what they're in, I'd be I'd be crapping my pants. They are very dangerously close to discrediting themselves with rate hikes, which is which would be just delicious irony. It would be yeah. delicious irony. Um, yeah, I do. Because again, it's, it's ultimately a fiscal problem. They didn't, the playbook on these things is so clear. They're so clear. They wrote a white paper about it seven years ago. There is a very concrete set of steps you have to follow. And they have gone about since 2022, a monetary policy that is based on a set of circumstances that is simply not correct. I wrote a tweet the other day of, you know, from Parks and Recreation of whatever his name is, throwing yeah. the, the computer in the garbage. Oh, yeah. And I said, this is me, you know, the Fed has never raised rates, let alone this fast, with debt to GDP at 120%, trailing 12-month deficits at, at 8, 8% rising, with the U.S. net international investment position at negative 65% of GDP, and with the U.S. being the biggest marginal high cost oil producer in the world responsible for 90% of global production growth. Like that set of circumstances, like you simply couldn't do what they did. It, it, you, you, 
it was it was like I, I can't it, how wrong it was. It was a hundred percent the wrong thing. Now were they forced into it by politics domestically with inflation? Probably. Were they forced into it a bit to, uh, geopolitically with what Russia did? Probably a little bit. But again, I don't care. It doesn't matter. They did. They did the wrong thing at the wrong time. And so now we're starting to see, you know, the implications of that. Shale's rolling over. The SPR is drawn down. Tax receipts are down. Deficits are up. Debt to GDP hasn't fallen. Like, I would be, you know, if they haven't figured out yet that, like, they're in serious, I, I think they're starting to. And I, we haven't discussed at all the the chance of the U.S. government spending less money. That's that's not on the table, right? Oh, this is a little bit like the only thing it saves them is some sort of productivity miracle, right? So they roll out some sort of um, nuclear, you know, fission, like you yeah. know, portable reactors. And, and I hear these things do exist in some form, right? So if they came out and said, hey, you know, instead of giving Zelensky another whatever, we're going to spend, you know, $100 billion and we'll put these things in over the next year and, you know, People are going to get really cheap electricity and and Starlink and 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 okay maybe you could start you know you're going to get a productivity bump et cetera et cetera failing that and there's other productivity or energy miracle productivity and miracles or energy miracles you could have but failing that here too like I don't think people understand you know when you have a severe disease you don't get to wait too, too long and then say like, oh, okay, now I'm ready to be healed. Now I'm ready to get serious. No, once you get to a certain point, like they put you in palliative care, they make you comfortable and, and they let you die. And the metaphor for that for the fiscal side is U.S. deficit to GDP is eight and a half percent almost on a trailing 12 month basis. So let's just take it. Let's not take it to flat like we were under Clinton, which was a fluke itself. But let's let's take it to where we were with Volcker, the two. That means we need to cut six and a half points of GDP now. That means GDP is going to fall six and a half percent now. Annual GDP in the great financial crisis fell three to four and nearly collapsed the banking system. Annual GDP in COVID when we shut the friggin' economy down fell like six. You can't do it. The, the, the mathematically, the mismatch between when you pick up productivity for getting the government out of the way in three to five years versus the GDP hit now relative to the leverage in the system. You again, unless Powell, unless they are willing to stand aside and let the banking system collapse, let the U.S. government shut down, lay off the Marine Corps. No, that it is not a possibility, and that sets aside all the politics. I mean. I'm just saying it's mathematically impossible. I'm not even talking about whether it's politically impossible, which, by the way, it is. Yeah. So what, what do you think about the stock market? Uh, what, do, what do stocks do here in this scenario that you, you envision? I guess before the pivot and then after the pivot. So there's two ways to think about it. The U.S. is in an Argentina situation. That's what I'm describing. It is in an Argentina. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. As soon as the Fed tried to tighten rates before they let debt to GDP go down, they, were, they, they had put themselves – they're in fiscal dominance. That's that's what this is all about. The fact that the Fed hiked rates and we're now have interest and 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 entitlements above receipts, you know, interest it, that's fiscal dominance. <laughs> like the fiscal's driving the boat. 
fiscal's driving the boat, fiscal dominance, sure. But Argentina, you know, they had a lot of debt denominated in, in a currency they couldn't print. And so okay, no one really so wants Argentine pesos that you could, but you can print, you can print, the Fed can print, uh, the U.S. dollar, the U.S. government can print dollars. And they can't, but they can't print, they can't print healthcare goods and services. The United States owes its baby boomers $70 trillion in healthcare goods and services and social security. Social security is inflation adjusting as we're seeing. Uh, number two, they don't, the boomers aren't owed whatever it is, 35, 40 trillion in Medicare in dollars. They're owed hips. They wrote knees, they wrote drugs, they wrote, that's a foreign currency. Absolutely. We do. And that's a part people also leave, right? So the more we can't print out of that, that's, that's a fact. So we, we do, and that's something people still, again, on this bond trade, I hear that a lot. Well, we can print our currency. You can't print hips and knees. You can't print drugs. You can't print doctors. No, you can't. That's a foreign currency. We owe, we owe baby boomers $35, $40 trillion in a foreign currency. Sure. In that sense, everyone's in Argentina. But but financially, I'm just saying that, you know, the U.S. does not owe pesos that Argentina owed uh, um, dollars. So, okay, so what does the stock market do? So what's the stock market do for the period of time until um, as long as we stay in this dollar up rates up dynamic, the stock market probably I mean, it's, it's not good for the Nasdaq. It's not good for the banks. Um, I think it will increasingly be good for, you'll see a vicious sector rotation that we've been seeing towards industrials and commodities, et cetera. Um, ultimately, it's super good for the stock market, right? Argentine stock market in pesos went to the moon. And, mm -hmm. and, the doc, and because again, the balance sheet's not there. But you're not, Argentine you know, uh, inflation was like 60%. You're not forecasting that for the US. Uh, no, not yet. Yeah, yeah. Not yet, but you know, Again, you get it'll probably be like everywhere else. It'll be, as I've said, Argentina with U.S. characteristics. It'll be, mm -hmm. they have to get, <laughs> the only thing keeping the U.S. out of a fiscal crisis was the inflation the Fed has been fighting. That's why, I, that was the mistake. That's when, that's when they broke something. And now we're just seeing it mark the market. So, so this will be, the environment you envision will be good for stocks? Ultimately, yes. In the short yeah. run, no. Got it. Okay, so we know you're you're bearish on short term. Uh, excuse me, you're bearish on long term rates that you has aged uh, very well. What about short term rates? If you think the Federal Reserve is going to cut rates, the two year probably looks pretty attractive. What do you think? Probably, but to me, yeah. you know, I mean, and I, we've been recommending this whole time, you know, short term Treasuries. Like I've been, you know, recommending this barbell approach since the last, I don't know, clients probably know better than me. Probably last, probably much of the last year, where you know we're probably more than last year. Um, at any rate, overweight cash, overweight short-term treasuries, or significantly overweight gold, significantly overweight Bitcoin, um, significantly over, excuse me, significantly overweight U.S. electrical uh, infrastructure, uh, overweight industrials, overweight oil. Um, and so, yeah, look, if the Fed cuts rates, will, will short-term treasuries do well? Yeah, probably. Will they do as well as gold, Bitcoin, and oil? No. No. Um, especially with oil, you know, if they have to cut rates, as I think they're going to have to with oil at 90 plus or, 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 and maybe they don't cut rates. Maybe they just do, you know, the latest iteration of not QE, QE, whether it's treasury buybacks or BTFP or not QE or whatever, um, you know, the, the market functioning purchases of treasuries that aren't QE, please don't, you know, let, please let us keep our credibility, uh, not QE. Yeah. That's going to be great for 
oil and 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 gold and Bitcoin, I don't think it's gonna be great for. Um, I think it'll be fine for short-term treasuries if they cut rates. I just don't think um, it's the optimal way to express it. Why does gold do well in this environment and Bitcoin? Oh, because they are simply uh, duration, longer duration assets with uh, a, a more fixed supply and a face value that can rise. They they do well when a nation has a fiscal problem and when the reserve currency issue of the world and her allies all have fiscal problems and hers is at least, you know, the, <laughs> hers is at least as bad and probably worse than the others, um, even Europe, then um, that's really good for gold and Bitcoin. What about, uh, do you think the, is Russia selling gold to fund its war? They're not selling gold. They sold some gold earlier this year. Uh, they bought it all back. The latest update last week was their holdings were back to 2023 highs. Okay, interesting. How come gold isn't up more? Oh, that's a whole different, uh, that's a complicated story. Gold is a very politically managed metal. <laughs> but Bitcoin is not. No, Bitcoin is much less managed. And I think Bitcoin responded to, to last year's liquidity draw um, very, uh, um, very aggressively. So, but the monetary future that you envision is, does gold and Bitcoin play a role as a medium of exchange? In other words, you know, going back to the gold standard or going forward to a gold standard or going forward to a Bitcoin standard, or is it more like it's a call option of the dollar? Fiat currencies are really performing like trash. So let's just get something where the denominator is fiat currency. In other words, but what if, what I'm saying, my question is, what is the... How do you exercise that call option? Like, are people going to be going to the store to, you know, buy coffee with gold or, or Bitcoin? The, the answer to the last question is no. The answer to the first question is earlier you said the, the, the bank, the Fed will lend the money to the banks to buy the treasuries or it'll, it'll get bought, you know, somehow that way. Yeah. yeah. That is not the primary reserve asset of the world anymore. Would you sell finite oil production and store it in treasuries? that are being bought by the banks who are getting the money from the Fed, who is creating that money out of thin air? No, you can't. You, 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 away from any political and economic, mathematically, you can't run a system that way. The system will collapse. And so what is needed to address the supply-demand issue in treasuries will force a systemic change, and not only will, is forcing a systemic change by which gold has become the primary marginal reserve asset and has been for 10 years already. Since, not, since 2014, global central banks have not added treasuries. I think they've sold $600 billion treasuries, uh, $600 billion worth of treasuries on net at the central bank level since 3Q14, and they've bought about three to $400 billion worth of gold. Um, and a lot of that was last year after the US sanctioned Russian FX reserve. So this isn't speculative that gold will be moving back into the system as a reserve asset. Gold has been, is, and has been, and will continue to um, driven and enforced by peak cheap oil. You can't sell more and more expensive oil or oil that's more expensive. Um, take your dollars or whatever currency you sell it in and store them in uh, uh, sovereign debt whose value declines against oil. You're better off just storing the oil, keeping the oil in the ground. And so you have to have a reserve asset that can rise in price or, uh, or either rise in face value, rise in price, 
or have the rates rise enough to compensate you for the inflation in energy? And the reality is, is sovereign debt can't rise over a thousand dollar face value. And the reality mathematically is that the U.S. Treasury cannot afford interest rates over, I don't know what it is, I would argue we're already there, but maybe it's six, maybe it's seven, I don't know, it's not too much far, but further beyond that, I would argue with, with, with tax receipts already down 20 would tell you they can't afford five. Um, so yeah, you're, I, you're, you're already transitioning to this system. Um, I think it will continue and, you know, how do you get out of that trade? I plan on selling my gold to JP Morgan um, and they'll credit my bank account. And I suspect it'll probably be a lot higher price because it's going back into the system. And how do you, um, do, do you think that the reserve currency will still be the dollar or will it be another fiat currency? I think it'll still be the dollar, but it's, it'll be, you know, a much more, It'll be the fix to what, what Russia and China are doing are just moving the system to what it should have been after World War II. And they said that. The, the, the PBOC said that 15 years ago. They said the system, in, at the end of World War II, there were two choices. The Keynes' Bancor system, where there was a neutral reserve asset made up of commodities, and then there was the dollar. And we went with the dollar. And the fact that the dollar, we've had all these crises, et cetera, shows that we should have gone with the other one, and we're going to move back to this other system. Like they told you that 15 years ago, and their actions have shown that they're moving back towards that. Uh, so I think we're moving back to yeah, dollars, global reserve currency, um, but but reserve primary reserve assets going to be gold at a floating price in all currencies. That's that's very interesting, Luke. Uh, thank you for for sharing your perspective. Before you go, tell us about Forest for the Trees. What are your different offerings? Before we go, I want to show you this. This is from the U.S. Constitution. The House of Representatives shall choose. There's a reason it's uh, spelled like that. There's speaker and other officers and shall have the sole power of impeachment. That's the only thing. It says for the requirement to be the Speaker of the House, you do not have to be a representative in the Speaker of the House. Nope. You have to be nominated. You have to be nominated. 
from a House of Representatives person. So let's say that Matt Gates nominates Trump. Which Republicans going to vote against Trump? Now, what Trump can do, watch. This is going to be very interesting. Watch. Because if Trump's name is tossed out there, Watch how quickly that Trump will, and I guarantee negotiations are going on right now. They, all right, they will either put Trump in or Trump will choose who will be it, and then Trump will run the Senate. Just like old Joe Biden is in that earpiece, Trump will choose who leads the Senate, and Trump will run that person. And then Trump has full control of the House of Representatives. Right. Says you guys been saying he's GIC. All right. Now, what's GIC? Oh, oh, CIC. Okay. Um, Commander in Chief. All right. So what if Trump appoints someone as House of Representatives? See, this is all. Right? I have a video I'm going to play tonight. Somebody gave it to me. We're going to watch the whole video, and it's going to explain how Trump is commander-in-chief, and it's, it's going to show all the executive orders, all of them. My friends, watch, make sure you're watching live tonight at 6 Eastern here 
on the private server. We are gonna, you're gonna enjoy this. You're gonna enjoy this whole show. All right, guys and gals, I gotta run. I got a ton to do before tonight's show. So, love you guys. I'll see you tonight.